You are tuned into In Her Footsteps, a conversation with the dynamic Latina business owners who are helping drive the American economy and creating change in their local communities. Hi, my name is Susan Farhang. I'm the Director of Marketing at the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and you're joining us for the inaugural episode of the In Her Footsteps podcast, and I'm joined with Claudia Mirza. She's the CEO and founder of Acorbi. Claudia, thank you so much for joining us. We're so thrilled to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Susan, thank you. And I thank the, the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce for the opportunity. So a, a little bit about myself. Well, uh, let me tell you, I am a mother. Uh, I am a daughter, a wife, an immigrant, a student at Harvard Business School. I am a philanthropist, a writer, an inventor with two patent pending. Um, I am also a horse rider. I am an employer, an entrepreneur, and I, I really love creating things. I like creating brand new things, and I, I question, and I love the business world. I love managing the business, and, and I also love cultures and travel. So I really enjoy what I do. Yeah. Do you get to travel a lot with your with your business? I travel a lot, and uh, one of the things is that I travel, but I am also very interested and passionate about the global economy, global cultures, mm-hmm. uh, getting deep into uh, the different communities and understand how they behave, how they work, how they speak. Uh, it is amazing. So that's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, tell me, you know, what is your business? What is a Corby? Acorbi. Acorbi is a group of six companies uh, with 963 uh, team members uh, providing solutions for the global economy. Um, so what you are, that's a fancy word, but let's show what it really is. So the company started originally as a translation company. We do a lot of localization. Uh, we also do multilingual call center. So any company doing global operations, uh, they require a lot of uh, multilingual call center support and operation. That's what we we are very good at. Also, uh, multilingual and technical staffing, uh, telephonic interpretation. Another area of our business is uh, learning. And the one that I'm very passionate about is innovation. That's where, that's an innovation lab. So we are basically routing phone calls around the world, connecting people that speak different languages with their audience. We are also doing video remote technologies, connecting sign language, uh, people that require interpretations in sign language. And we are also testing a little bit with Braille and people who are so... um, very excited about all the technologies that that we are working on in the business. But anything about languages, technology, and global economy, that's what we are good at. Yeah, so why did you start Corby? What inspired the, the business? Um, well, I started, you know, I want to back up a little bit to kind of, to, to tell you the background. Okay. So... My uh, my father came to the United States in 1980, and he went to work at, race tra- at horse racetracks. And um, 
uh, then uh, later, um, I met my father after 18 years of being apart. Wow. Uh, I really could not even understand who was my father because I know I, I, I left him. He left me whenever I was four. And I came met my father. Uh, and then we I went to work for Corporate America. I was able to validate my education from Colombia. I worked 60 hours, 70 hours a week. And I still went to school full time. Um, but one of the things is that uh, I thought that whenever I got that job in corporate America, that was going to be my last job, but they, the company closed mm -hmm. and they let off a bunch of people and, oh. and I was one of them. Uh, so I saw, I, I, but I went to volunteer at a horse racetrack mm -hmm. to help my father. And, and it is interesting that a Corby really started by giving back to somebody. We were, I was supporting the community, I was supporting agricultural workers, and I volunteered to do interpretations and translations for uh, these uh, agricultural workers. Mm -hmm. And what is interesting is that that nonprofit that I volunteered to, they referred me paying, to paying customers. So after that, I started billing, but a Corby started as an act of kindness. That's awesome. So, in case people don't know, why a Corby? What is what is the name? What does the name a Corby mean, or why was that chosen as the? <laughs> That's an interesting question. A Corby means a uh, for a, a for a Corby by means bilingual, mm -hmm. and core means corporation. Mm -hmm. So we just move the words around, so it's a bilingual corporation. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, but there are a couple of things <laughs> whenever you are naming a business. Well, we wanted to make sure that it started with an A, because it puts you at the beginning of the databases. Oh, Another that's a smart tip. <laughs> Anyone listening, <laughs> that's a smart tip. Another tip it was it had to have a .com, so most of the real words were taken, so we made up this mm. word, a Corby, uh, but also it had to be short and also catchy. Yeah. So a bunch of considerations to be able to come up with a word. <laughs> that's awesome. That's mm -hmm. a really great story. Um, so... Um, how long ago did you start a Corby? I started a Corby uh, 15 years ago, and uh, my husband, Azam, is um, a, a, an electrical engineer with a master's degree in electrical engineering. He was uh, working for uh, very important companies, and but then later he joined the business, but he has supported me all this, all mm -hmm. this time. That's awesome. So, moving on to some other questions about, mm -hmm. you know, what are some of the biggest challenges as a business owner um, that you maybe, when you were starting out, mm -hmm. encountered? So, the challenges, I, I think they are still applicable today. Okay. I, I would say that and there are, currently there are 6 million job openings in the United States. And um, I had an opportunity to, uh, uh, and every single time that I had been exposed to our policymakers, I had been telling them that um, we need to have, as a small business owners, we need to have access to workforce. We are very, very um, 
uh, handicapped whenever it comes to to workforce. So I will say, I will say prime workforce. If you were to tell a prime wor- uh, uh, an amazing uh, resource or talent, hey, do you want to work at let's say Microsoft or do you rather mm-hmm. work at a Corby? They are gonna say I rather work at Microsoft, mm-hmm. and it's not that a Corby is a bad employer. But obviously, Microsoft has a lot to offer. So, I will say that I will, I will say that the real challenge is for small businesses to have access to qualified workforce. Again, as I mentioned, I am into patents. I love mm. engineering, but I am not an engineer. For that, if I want to innovate, I want to have engineers. Yeah. I want to have people uh, that can do computer programming, and, and and also I want to have access to to professional talent that can help me automating. But if I don't have that workforce available, it is mm-hmm. a detriment to the United States small business owners. Yeah. So it is very important that um, the addressing this, this concern about the workforce uh, is an important topic yeah. for our United States small businesses. Absolutely. So on the flip side, what are you know biggest opportunities that same if it was you know when you're first starting out mm-hmm. um, or or now that you see opportunities with with your business the the biggest opportunity uh, well I, I don't know because I, I, I am passionate about the global economy yeah but I see that all our services uh, we have an amazing infrastructure and uh, we feel that other countries are just upgrading that infrastructure so our opportunity, uh, as a small business owner is to st- and also being uh, Latinos or just in general is that we are multicultural yeah. we understand several cultures so we need to understand uh, right now I'm doing business in Colombia I feel that there is a significant amount of opportunity out there because they are upgrading their infrastructure they require our services so anything about the global economy and how we can sell to the global economy that is a great opportunity for us um, also, I think um, as Latinas, we are no longer Latinas of the United States. Correct. I think we are Latinas of the world. And we need to start projecting ourselves globally because we are dealing, it's no longer that we are competing with our own zip code. Yeah. We are competing with the globe. Absolutely. For that, we have to get out of our comfort zone and start traveling, uh, going around the world uh, creating opportunities. Uh, this is no longer about our zip code. We yeah. have to be ready to compete globally. But that's a great opportunity. And how do you? What advice would you give to someone who, you know, has outgrown their zip code and wants to go global or wants to move? Like, do you recommend them going, you know, um, you know, other states first and then going internationally? Or what advice do you have for them? to take that big step? Uh, lately, uh, I had been doing a lot of work uh, online, uh, mm-hmm. trying to really increase our food uh, footprint online, our digital footprint. <clears throat> People don't want to socialize the way that they used to socialize 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, they don't want to be bothered by being called. They don't, they, the way they socialize, they want to research you online first before they want to buy from you. Yeah. And the amazing thing is that the digital economy, they don't ask you how big or small you are. They just want to make sure that you can provide that service. So I think it's a real opportunity for the small business owners mm-hmm. uh, uh, to, to really advertise the services online because in the digital economy, everybody's equal. 
So I think it's a great opportunity for us to, and also a good managed website and internet search engine uh, working in your favor is better than a salesperson selling for you. So we have seen a great um, amount of business opportunities uh, by expanding our digital footprint. The same thing, we are doing business globally or well overseas. So for that, we are making sure that we have an actual digital footprint locally to bring businesses. That's a very good point. Um, So another question about Corby or for you, what was a turning point for your business? Like, was there any specific moment where it just, you looked around and you're like, whoa, this is really, you know, Mm -hmm. grown and was there any moment like that? Well, I'm going to tell you, I am going to to a three-year program at Harvard Business School. That's awesome. I'm going to, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, (laughs) congratulations, first of all. That's amazing. (laughs) I am going to the Owner's President Management Program. And so the first year, uh, I went there and I just took, I pay attention to all this data. Yeah. But it really, I was excited and everything, but nothing happened really, like, really, really happened tangible. But the second year, so we went through financial statements. So the exercise is about going to see all these uh, case studies. Mm -hmm. But every single case study has financials. So the first year I read 42 financial uh, reports from these companies, but also they give you a whole snapshot of the business. The second year I read the same 42 amount of financials. Wow. But in the past, I used to read my own financials, but it's whenever you are, I don't know, if, for instance, if they ask you, they ask a mother, how beautiful is your child? Well, the mother would say, <laughs> your, my child is very beautiful, but if you benchmark that child with other children, chances are that your child is not as beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it is, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so the same thing happens in a business. Um, I couldn't understand my own financials, Mm-hmm. Because I, number one, maybe I was afraid, or maybe thought, I thought that we were too special. But after reading eighty-four financial reports, <laughs> so I went back and I saw mine, and I said, "Holy, <laughs> this is not the way this business should be run." Yeah. So I decided that um, I thought that maybe this is a real turning point. So what has happened is that. It's this whole exercise about yeah. seeing the business performance of other businesses that I came to know about my own business performance. Yeah, we were profitable. Uh, we are, uh, we, we, our business is self-financed, uh, is on our own, from our own working capital and equity. But I realized that our performance, financial performance could be better. And uh, so to me, a turning point it is to leave Harvard Business School thinking, I am going to run this business as a professional driven organization mm-hmm. with metrics, financial performance, uh, and also being able to run this in a, with a good strategy, really sticking uh, and really staying focused on my dashboard and metrics. So that is a turning point, but also turning awesome. point is that from a, mid, from a small business, yeah. the infrastructure to run a small business is totally different to run a mid-sized company. So you have to mm-hmm. revamp. If you want to have good financial reports, you have to revamp your traditional small business uh, financial software. Uh, you also have to revamp 
uh, your HR systems. Uh, we have done, we, you also potentially could revamp a significant amount of your workforce because the same people mm -hmm. that brought you to manage the mid-size, the skill set yeah. is totally different to manage a business that is 2.0. So we had gone through uh, the management style change, the reporting change, the financial oversight, the controls, uh, the infrastructure, uh, the the marketing, uh, the marketing and the sales effort, all that has changed. Wow. So it's like really reinventing the business like from zero. Yeah, I feel like that's something. I mean, obviously, I'm not a business owner. You can speak more to it, but that you know constantly has to happen, right? Um, where you're constantly changing to stay. And you stay, need to yeah. stay relevant. Exactly. The, the, this is the thing. For me, it has been um, it has been a real challenge because you, I have to stay relevant to my executive team. Yeah. I cannot be, oh, I was the woman who ran the business whenever it was a small business. Yeah. No, I have to stay relevant to people that know more than me. And and, and the point is that part of my re is a reinventing is about acknowledging, but being open and telling people I don't know. But I will find out for you. So it's also being humble. Yeah, um, I awesome. am, I have no issues in telling people I don't know. But I have no issues in telling people we have to improve. So I am yeah. very open whenever it comes to improving. And I'm very open about uh, our leadership and, and making sure that we all can go together for the same goals. That's awesome. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. And... You know, when you were getting started, what is something that you wish you would have known before you started the business and maybe anyone listening can kind of, you know, take some advice from that? I, I, I wish I could have taken accounting and finances more seriously. If I was to open a business today from scratch mm -hmm. with the knowledge that I have now, uh, I will get my a great CFO and a great COO, if I and also a great salesperson. So if I have those three, I can yeah. accomplish anything. Because in the the make the mistake that I made was really getting. I got people very junior yeah. because I was afraid that if I brought experienced people, they will not be flexible enough for me to manage them. Mm -hmm. So it was probably fear of my own self. Yeah. Um, but if I was to build today this business, I will make sure that I have the core, the most important person in a business is those, is, is, is that person that is managing the financials. Yeah, absolutely. But these are very difficult to find. <laughs> it's not that you just go and say, oh, you, Claudia just said on the podcast that go get a, a person that <laughs> manages the financials and I'm going to give you the job. No, it is not that simple. Is a, it is a lot of trial and error. Yeah. A lot of trial and error. You probably could go through five, ten people in your life until you find the right one. And do you know that is a coincidence? In what? fact, whenever I won the U.S. Hispanic Woman of the Year, oh, you don't know right. this. I'm going to tell you something fun. <laughs> you don't know this, but this I'm going to tell uh -oh. you. So I got down from the stage, and there was this guy... And I cannot tell you the name of the company because probably they want to have their own privacy, but a very important uh -huh. member of the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. He was a very high-level executive. He was waiting for me and wanted to give me a big hug, okay? And I said, I'm so proud of you. I said, wow. And who are you? Oh, I am so-and-so, big title. 
Yeah. Well, we became good friends because we became good friends for some reason. He yeah. liked me. I liked him. Very cool guy. Um, and I am not doing business with that corporation. And I'm okay with that. But what happened was that he, this guy said to me, I am going to introduce you to one of my big friends, very special friend that just lost, that just left the corporation that I was, mm-hmm. that I'm working with. And you should meet him. And he is an expert in finance. And he's another fellow Colombian. Hmm. I said, hmm, let me talk <laughs> to him and see. This is the most delightful guy. But the thing is, that guy came to work in our company. Wow. And he's the one driving all these amazing financial changes and results. But these are not, but the the thing is, he worked for this huge corporation for so many years. He's a retired executive. He came to Accorby and is implementing the same type of due diligence, financial due diligence and rigor. So what I'm trying to say is that through the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, I found this guy who found to, who <laughs> referred me to this other guy, and today he's sitting there in the business doing the most amazing discoveries. But I wish I could have found him a long time ago. But yeah. this is the type of people that I would say that we need to start paying attention to as a small business owner. Well, now we are mid-sized, but, but it's just to, to really pay attention to what is up there, or the type of talent um, but again, this is one of the success stories from going to the stage and going down. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's trophy. a great story. <laughs> yes. and, and to that point, you know, um, I think a piece that is really important is like the networking. Yes. You know, so I don't if you want to touch on that of, you know, how you, you, you literally found someone through someone yes. at an event. Yes. Um, at the U.S. Hispanic Chamber at the, of Commerce. At the USHCC. Yes. Um, so... Yeah, any advice? I know you, you told the story, but on, you know, the importance of networking mm-hmm. at any event and, and the potential of finding someone, either another business partner, um, a client, um, someone that, you know, can help grow your business. I am going to tell you, and I also heard this at the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Somebody said, but but you just cannot burn bridges with anybody. The business wall is so small. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, in my industry, everyone knows, like, everyone knows each other. Uh, in, in our industry, um, we all know all the companies, we know where the people are moving, but the, what, what we underestimate is we think that people, that the wall is too big. Mm. And, and in reality, the, wall is ex- the business wall is extremely small. Yeah. So, so one person is connected to the other, but the same thing is if you don't mess your name, if you cut corners, if you lie, mm. if you fool people, that comes around. So what is happening is that um, I will say that people watch you for a long time. Yeah. People watch you. Last, last week I received a major award from the uh, Women Business Enterprise National Council. Yeah, I have been congratulations for that too. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so I have been just handing business cards without expecting anything from people. Just being nice to people, friendly to people. Yeah. And, and just working in a humble way. And, and I received the award after 15 years. And I was telling um, one of the girls, a, a, a millennial that went to my table and sat with me. And, and I told her, listen, it's just you don't have immediate returns. 
-hmm. took me 15 years to get this award. Yeah. It has been 15 years handing cards to people yeah. and getting to know people. And finally, I got the big one. So it just, it can take you a lifetime to develop yeah. relationships, but it can take you nothing to destroy them. So I will say that the, the, the networking, uh, the business world is very small and we need to treat the networking as the most precious um, gift and also asset that we could have. Yeah, it is, it is very important to, to honor those friends and relationships and, and really, and one of the things is also you need to help a lot of people before you get help. Hmm. So I would say that it has been instrumental in myself helping others before I could get some return. So Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's yeah. really good advice. And yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, so moving on to, you know, Hispanics start a small business at the rate of three to one mm -hmm. when compared to the general market. But Latinas start a business at a rate of five to one. Mm -hmm. And I love talking about this, especially because it's Women's History Month. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're excited to launch this initiative um, during uh, Women's History Month. So to that point, you know, Latinas starting the rate five to one. Mm -hmm. What do you think accounts for that entrepreneurial spirit among Hispanic women? Well, I am going to tell you, I have a theory. Okay. I have a theory <laughs> and I want some, some data guide to validate this information. <laughs> But um, I will say that, so for some reason, after reaching 43, I had become, like, I am going into very deep thinking and really going philosophical in life. <laughs> or I don't know, maybe that happens after uh, 40s, or that's called midlife crisis. No. So maybe I'm going through that right now. But I was going... Or in, wisdom. Or wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was going in the back, I was in the back seat of my car, of my uncle's car. It's a broken car. It's, it's, it's an ugly <laughs> car going through this town in Colombia. But now I'm going as the woman as I am. And we were going around town and I started noticing an effect. Mm -hmm. Every single door, every single house, every other door, there was a business. Hmm. This town is a very, is a very, has, is a town that has been hit by violence. If you notice, if you have watched uh, Narcos from Netflix, and there is oh, this yeah. small town <laughs> from, uh, from Cali, near Cali, uh, that, that has really had a lot of action uh, during all these violent years. So what happened was that in those towns didn't have access to employers because mm -hmm. of it was unsafe and might be still a little bit those areas are still uh, might be a little bit hot but what has happened is that those there were there were people still living in that town and they still have to make a living and they still have to eat they still have to send the kids to school yeah so what has happened is that every single person or every single other person learned to live with the work with the an, on, um, in an e informal economy and make mm -hmm. money in, in informal ways. So some people sold arepas, some people sold empanadas, some people sold uh, clothes, some yeah. people sold meat, uh, perfumes, and all these type of things. So I think as Latinas, yeah. uh, we, we have to live in those informal economies in order to be able to survive. Yeah. And we have to cre become very creative in order to be able to make 
to bring food to our house. Yeah. So I think my theory is that due to those informal economies, now it has become a positive effect. It is about being able to create our own jobs because we live through a lot of hardship. So, but the, the thing is that the other day at home, uh, we were having a conversation and uh, the, the ratio uh, of Latinas opening businesses, but also successful business owners and successful corporate executives yeah. in corporations and talking about amazing workforce. And, and, and I had been counting the amount of Colombians, for instance, yeah. and, and talking about a significant amount of Colombians are very important professionals in corporations, but I'm talking about Central Americans, uh, Argentinians, and, and just people from all over the place, all over the world. It's all, all over the South America and Latin America in general um, with great jobs yeah. and bring, making a lot of money and also great business owners. So I think it's part of that. That's my theory. Yeah. You guys need to <laughs> figure out if that's the case or not. Okay. I like, I like the theory. <laughs> so any advice for you know listeners, entrepreneurs? I know you've given a lot of advice throughout the podcast, but anything else that you think, you know, if you're either starting a small business or you know you're at that step where you ready to grow it a little more do you have any other advice for them I think the core I think the core of our uh, of ex, as ex, of existence as business owners is to run profitable transactions and it's, this is basic mathematic okay mathematics one uh, you buy, you buy uh, three dollars in you. You sorry, you make a sale for three dollars. You spend one dollar mm. in, in 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 raw materials. Yeah. Uh, you spend another dollar in overhead, and you have one dollar profit. You always have to make sure that you keep profit. And I'm gonna tell you always, if, even if you are a startup, you need to make sure that you are running profitable transactions. Uh, sometimes, for instance, in technology, you have to develop really the application before yeah. you really make a revenue or make a profit. But I will say that always, no matter what is your dream, to make sure that you have net profit, that you have profit in every single transaction. Hmm. Why? If you have net profit, you are able to keep your bankers happy. Yeah. You are able to grow your business. You are able to stay away from trouble. You are going to avoid a business going bankrupt. So just keep an eye on that net profit. I am not asking you for anything else. Just keep an eye on the net profit. Because if you also have net profit, if you are growing your business, you can help your community, you can feed your household. It's, it's just the net profit, yeah. keeping profit, making sure that your profit is also healthy. Yeah. If you don't know what is your profit in your industry, go to publicly traded companies and the 10K information, and you have lots of financial information, and you are able to see what is the net profit of yeah. that. But being a publicly traded, public, uh, sorry, that's for a publicly traded company, but for a private company, probably your net profit should be a little bit more. However, let's don't, let's don't generalize what should be the net profit, but you should be able to read a lot of financial statements. Yeah. Uh, from public, publicly traded data and come to what is the average in your industry. Uh, we did that exercise at Harvard 
uh, business school and I went to see research all the publicly traded data and the net profit mm -hmm. and I came to a conclusion of what should be my net profit. So now I am modeling all my budgets to make sure that I can I keep all that net yeah. profit as my baseline to be able to run my operations. So that's where we are. So net profit, net profit, <laughs> net profit. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and then I guess last last kind of question here. Um, why do you think that this initiative that we're doing in her footsteps is is important? You know, why do you think having these conversations um, on this podcast? I I think it's very important, and I am going to tell you why. I have I I don't learn so much from other people's success. I think also because of social media, we really have glorified success. Mm. The issue is that we don't learn what we don't learn. We really don't know much about defeat. Mm. And we don't know much about struggles. And where I have learned the most has been whenever other people had mentored me and said, this is how I made a mistake. Mm. Or whenever I see people making mistakes, I call them and said, I know you are going through a difficult moment, but I have learned a lot how you had managed this difficult moment. People, so what I'm trying to say is that we probably learn and teach more through adversity yeah. than actually success. So it's very important that through the podcast and this series, it's not really about, it is about giving practical advice. And it is about talking about errors, mistakes that we had made. And, and, and it's just having open conversations about basics business uh, mm -hmm. concepts. So I will say that this is very important. Um, some of the biggest lessons in my life have been through one-on-one -on -one conversations of yeah. opportunities, educational opportunities. Also, I would say that education for for business owners is extremely critical. Uh, it took me a long time to be able to read those financial statements. <laughs> <laughs> a long time. I wish it would have been done sooner. But 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 I really uh, it's, it was only accomplished through education. Yeah. So any opportunity that we have to educate other business owners, I think is 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 highly appreciated in the business community. Yeah, absolutely. So. Any any last closing remarks before we wrap up? Anything? Any last piece? Well, I'm very grateful to you guys. I, I <laughs> look at all this technology and and you and and thank you thank you for reaching out to me and and anything that I can do for you guys, let me know. But I I appreciate you taking the time to highlight um, uh, uh, the story and and no, I'm very grateful and I want to once this podcast and I want to show it to my ten year old so see what he thinks. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Claudia. Um, it was amazing having this conversation with you. And, Thanks a lot. You know, um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah.